video contains content that viewers may find disturbing. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to 100 Horrible Ways People Can Die. I'm John. And I'm Alex. Today's episode is about drowning. Drowning is one of the most common ways a person can die, and it can happen in a variety of situations. Mm -hmm. Like in a swimming pool. Drown in a bathtub. Or in a chocolate river. You can drown in the ocean. Or in a lake. In a stream. Maybe a puddle. Even beer. Yeah, I'd like to drown my sorrows in a bottle of beer. Especially after this episode. Yep, so uh, let's get into our first historical event. Our first historical event is the Binghamton University retaining wall collapse. So on May 19, 1975, a tragic accident occurred on the campus of Binghamton University in New York. Following a heavy rainfall, a 500-foot-long section of a retaining wall collapsed, and water flew down the hill, and at the bottom of the hill was a lecture hall where there was a class on geology. And there were about 150 students taking the class that morning, and as they sat there, a wave of water came down the hill, broke through the windows, and started filling the classroom with water. Geez, so as yeah. the water and mud poured into the lecture hall, students were trapped inside the, uh, the room as it rapidly began to fill with water. Uh, many managed to escape, but unfortunately there was an 18-year-old student named Kevin uh, Shaughnessy. He drowned in the disaster. Uh, the incident led to some investigations uh, on the construction and the maintenance of the retaining wall, and it led to some more safety regulations and regular maintenance and strengthening to prevent similar accidents in the future. So let's imagine a story of somebody that was there. This is the story of Amelia. I am a survivor. On that fateful day in 1975, my life changed forever when a seemingly ordinary lecture turned into a nightmare I can never forget. I was 19 at the time, a bright-eyed freshman at Binghamton University in New York, eager to learn and explore the world. The day began like any other, with the sun shining brightly as I made my way to the geology lecture. I remember the room was packed, filled with students eagerly scribbling notes, as our professor's voice echoed throughout the hall. Little did we know that the ground beneath our feet was about to betray us. As the lecture progressed, a low, rumbling sound pierced the air, followed by a thunderous crash that shook the very foundation of the building. Panic erupted as the students scrambled, desperately seeking an escape from the unseen danger. The floor beneath us trembled, and within moments, the unthinkable happened. The retaining wall that held back tons of earth and water collapsed, unleashing a torrential wave of mud and debris. The once orderly lecture hall transformed into a maelstrom of chaos and fear as we were engulfed by the deluge. The muddy water rose rapidly, clawing at my legs and threatening to pull me under. My heart raced, pounding in my chest, as I tried to make sense of the surreal nightmare unfolding before my eyes. With every breath I choked on the thick, suffocating sludge, feeling it invade my lungs and rob me of the air I so desperately craved. My limbs grew weak, and I felt helpless, unable to fight the relentless force that sought to claim my life. Memories of my family and friends flashed before my eyes, each image a cruel reminder of all that I stood to lose. In my darkest hour I found myself silently praying, pleading with any higher power that might listen to spare me from this terrifying fate. As the water continued to rise, I began to lose hope, feeling the cold embrace of death closing in around me. But in that moment, when all seemed lost, a hand reached out to me, pulling me from the clutches of despair. It was my classmate Jacob, 
whose strength and determination saved me from a watery grave. Together we struggled to stay afloat as the water and mud continued to pour into the hall. Finally the torrent began to recede, leaving behind a scene of devastation and heartache. We emerged from the wreckage, battered and bruised, but alive. The nightmare was over, but the memories of that day would haunt us forever. In the aftermath of the Binghamton University retaining wall collapse, we were left to pick up the pieces of our shattered lives, forever bound by the shared trauma and the unbreakable bond forged in our fight for survival. The world was no longer the same, but we carried on, our spirits tempered by the knowledge that even in the darkest moments, hope can still prevail. The likelihood of an event such as this happening is quite low. Most building safety codes and regulations are designed to prevent these types of events, but there's always, unfortunately, tragic accidents. Yeah, building codes and regulations have definitely improved since the 1970s when this happened. And considering the rate of uh, global drowning is, uh, I think, 1.1 per 100,000, I think it's pretty rare. Yeah. I mean, as people build more, it'll probably happen, though. Infrastructure gets old, things fall apart. That's true. That's true. So, you know, it's still low, but there's some safety tips for how to uh, avoid drowning in an incident like this. Uh, mm -hmm. So, well, you could start by being aware of your surroundings. Know where your exits are, know if an area, for example, is prone to flooding and where you're located relative towards a body of water. And then obviously watch the weather report. If there's a flash flood warning and you're in an area that's prone to flooding, you probably want to leave. True, follow safety guidelines, know where all of your exits are. So I said. Exactly. And then, um, you know, just whether it's a work environment or a public space or at your home, you know, just, just be aware of your surroundings, you know, just like you said. Yeah. And it might help, it might not, but try to learn how to swim if you don't know how to. Swimming is good. Learn how to swim. It's good exercise. Take a lifeguard course. We need more lifeguards. I hear there's a shortage. There's always a shortage of lifeguards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so. All right, let's get into our second event. That's That would be the Great London Beer Flood. Of 1814. So on October 17th, 1814, it was a very weird event at a brewery, the Mew & Company Brewery in Tottenham Court Road in London, England. Now, I don't know where that is, and I've never been to London, but I'm assuming it's a place that made beer. These giant holding tanks of beer would have been probably the size of about... I don't know, maybe like a, a water tank or a something. Massive cool. wooden beer vat held right. together with copper or car, iron rods. Iron rings? Rings, yeah, I rings. guess just how you would picture a normal whiskey or wood barrel. These it, things were enormous. Yes. The pressure on it must have been very high, so there was some kind of mechanical failure of well, that mechanism. That thing held 135,000 gallons of beer. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, that's 610,000 liters. For those people who aren't familiar with gallons. You got those backwards. What? 610,000 liters? Liter is less than a gallon. Yes. I, I said there was 135,000 gallons. Oh, I'm sorry. Right? And 610,000 liters. I don't know how to read and listen. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that was fermenting. That's, that's what yes, was fermenting. Yes, it was a fermenting vat. And that yeah, probably yeah. had something to do with the collapse of the vat because as it's fermenting, it's generating carbon pressure. dioxide gas and pressure. Right, right. And Maybe a valve didn't pressure release valve didn't work. Well, I don't think anybody we don't really know. would know now because that's so long ago. True. The pressure was so great that when it exploded, it hit a bunch of other beer vats in the area and also made those explode. Right. 
So giant wall. Just a flood. Flood. 323,000 gallons. 1.468 million liters of beer flooding through the streets of London. And apparently it happened in an area that was more of a, I don't know, drinking area, tenement area, very very densely populated. So a lot of people were in the path in the vicinity. Right. So as they're standing there doing their thing or whatever, there is this giant wall of beer so flooding down on them. They literally drowned in beer. In beer. So eight people tragically died. And hundreds were injured. Horrifically. Hundreds were injured. So don't joke around about drowning your sorrows in a bottle of a beer. Because the beer actually, might drown you. It actually yeah. could drown you. At least in this circumstance, right? At least in this circumstance. There's probably been other ones, but none to this extent that I know this of. This was huge. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge. Right. So do we have a story about this one too? I think so. Let, let's just imagine a story mm -hmm. of someone that was there. Let's just put our imagination to work. Put our thinking caps and, on here. Uh, let's imagine we're there. On a crisp October evening in 1814, Nestled amidst the bustling streets of London, tragedy struck in a most unexpected way. It was a time of innovation and progress, yet nobody could have foreseen the calamity that would unfold on Tottenham Court Road. My name is Thomas, and I was there caught in the deluge of the Great London Beer Flood. I was a young man of 25, recently wed to my dear wife Elizabeth. We lived in a small yet cozy house not far from the Mew and Company Brewery. I worked as a cobbler while Elizabeth took care of our humble abode. That fateful evening, as I returned home from a long day's work, I sensed something amiss in the air. A thick, pungent aroma of fermenting porter filled the streets. Little did I know that the very air I breathed would soon become a harbinger of disaster. As I turned onto New Street, I heard a deep rumbling sound like thunder in the distance. The ground beneath me trembled and the vibrations intensified. Panicked voices echoed through the air and I saw people fleeing in terror. It was as if the wrath of God himself had been unleashed. Before I could comprehend what was happening, a monstrous wave of dark, frothy porter came crashing down the street, sweeping away everything in its path. Buildings crumbled under the relentless force, their foundations unable to withstand the onslaught. I stood there, paralyzed with fear as the torrent of beer surged towards me. In an instant, I was swallowed whole by the relentless deluge. The familiar world around me vanished without a trace replaced by a suffocating inky darkness that pressed in from all sides. Panic surged through me like an electric current seizing control of my racing heart and pounding against my chest, demanding escape. As I fought against the merciless current, I gasped for air, desperately trying to draw breath, only to be met with the heavy, suffocating liquid that filled my lungs. Disbelief and confusion clouded my mind as I struggled to make sense of the surreal nightmare that had become my reality. An overwhelming sense of helplessness washed over me as my limbs grew weak and my strength abandoned me. Memories of my dear wife Elizabeth and the life we had built together flashed before my eyes, each one a fleeting reminder of all that I stood to lose. In my desperation, I found myself silently praying, bargaining with whatever higher power might be listening for a chance at survival. But, as the icy grip of death began to tighten around me, I felt a growing sense of resignation. This was it, the end was upon me, and there was nothing left to do but accept my fate. In that harrowing moment, suspended between life and death, time seemed to stand still. The terror was palpable, an oppressive force that threatened to crush me entirely. 
It was an experience beyond words, the kind of fear that lingers long after the danger has passed forever, etched into the soul. Just as I was about to succumb to my fate, a powerful hand grasped my arm, pulling me up from the depths of despair. I emerged from the beer-soaked abyss, coughing and gasping for breath. It was James, a burly blacksmith, who worked nearby. His strength had saved me from a watery grave. We clung to each other, trying to stay afloat amidst the chaos. The flood raged around us, consuming everything it touched. We watched in horror as our friends and neighbors were swallowed by the churning sea of beer. After what seemed like an eternity, the torrent began to recede, leaving a trail of destruction in its wake. The once thriving streets of our community were reduced to rubble, our homes and livelihoods washed away. The air was filled with the cries of the injured and the mourning of those who had lost loved ones. As I stood there shivering and drenched, I knew that life would never be the same. The Great London Beer Flood had claimed eight souls, leaving an indelible mark on the hearts of those who survived. We were bound together by the tragedy united in our grief and our determination to rebuild. Well, that was an interesting story. Yeah, a good story based on a true event. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about the likelihoods of that happening again. Yeah. Um, by all accounts in recorded history, I think that's the only example where people have ever died from a beer vat exploding. And that much beer in the street. Right. Yeah. Now, there have been other vats in industrial settings that have exploded. For example, there's been a couple of famous ones in the U.S. where dozens of people have drowned in other substances, but I have not encountered any of them with beer before. Right. I think it's pretty safe to say that um, your odds of drowning in a vat of beer exploding into streets are probably pretty close to zero. Yeah, it's probably the least likely way you'll ever die. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty, pretty low. Um, if you're going to die of beer, it's more likely going to be from alcohol poisoning or mm -hmm. liver failure because you became an alcoholic. So don't or drink too much beer or drink it and drinking driving. and driving or drowning. Boating. Boating and drowning is a big one. Because you're in a boat and you yes. got too much to drink and you fell off and drowned. Right. And we'll talk more about some safety stats revolving around drowning after this. But I did see some numbers that show that something like 70% of adult drownings do possibly involve alcohol. There you go. So... Probably not going to die of a beer bat explosion, but you could still die of, die of some kind of beer <laughs> incident. Yeah. So, all right. So let's talk about how we can be safe against something like this, uh, even though it probably will never happen. But let's say yeah. against drowning in general. Right. I mean, for all we know, there could be an accident like this involving a water tower. The principle is still the same, a large volume of water coming out. Sure. Somewhere. So be aware of your surroundings as usual. There's a water tower. Uh, maybe keep an eye on that if it looks weird. You know, yeah, back off or something. I don't know. I'm sure if there is some kind of unsafe conditions around the water tower or industrial setting. If then... you notice it, report it. Yes, that would be probably note the it. best safety tip. Yeah, note it, report it. That way, maybe you'll stop an incident like this from occurring yeah. from some other substance because you noticed an image, a damage. You know. Yeah, and probably the most likely way you would even be exposed to these situations is if you worked in a facility that had that type of a vat or holding tank or something so a general person in the population you know eating at a restaurant or something like that is probably not at any real risk of this yeah yeah but and remember um you know with drowning even if a person's rescued mm -hmm. you know it can still have lasting effects like if you drowned and you're brought back there's mm -hmm. a possibility that um you know you have brain damage right or you can drown like a couple hours later you can just 
drowned. Yes. Even though you were saved, right? Now we're not medical doctors. We're not medical no. professionals. We're not even that smart, really, to be honest. True. But I mean, if you have lack of oxygen. But there are a lot of research. There is a lot of research out there talking about this. And yes, part of it is the lack of oxygen. But there's also the way the, the body will metabolize the water that gets into your lungs. And some of those effects will not be felt for hours. So I believe the general safety advice in those situations is make sure and monitor a person who's been revived from drowning. Make sure that they don't have, for example, headaches or changes in their behavior because that it could be a sign that there is an underlying condition related to the drowning, like a hypoxia, lack of oxygen that is still oxygen, presenting. Right. And then in that case, as you know, to be cautious, take them to a hospital, get, a, get them evaluated. Right. If you inhale any type of liquid, be it beer, be right. it water, be it chocolate milk. Yeah. If your name is Augustus and you fall in the river <laughs> of chocolate well, and the Oompa Loompas have to pull you out of the tube, yeah, you yeah. may drown. Yeah. Luckily, yeah. Augustus didn't drown. There are some other freak stories Watch out Willy there. Wonka. The first one, because the second one kind of sucked. <laughs> yeah, the first one. That's no where offense Augustus to anybody who filmed or starred in that movie, but... Johnny Depp! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's... let's uh, no, let's talk more about the history of drowning. I know you have some documents. Yeah, thought it'd be interesting to talk about the history of drowning a little bit and uh, how much that's changed over over history. So today, a lot of our drownings actually take place in the home. So especially the young and the elderly tend to drown at home more, in the bathtub, in the shower. And there's some things we children can... too right i children think children too. die in bathtubs unattended yeah. all the time yeah that's very important to watch your children while, so let's see. I have while the they're actual... taking a bath because i think that's probably one of the most common occurrences of bathtub drownings is, is children that were left unattended yes so especially for infants under the age of one the leading place of drowning is in the bathtub right for children ages one to four while they still do drown in the bathtub and shower it actually becomes a swimming pool. That's the most likely place to drown. You know, if your phone rings and you're not going to pay attention to your right. kids, hey, take them out of the pool, take mm-hmm. them out of the tub. It's an inconvenience, but right. it's better they're alive than, you know, you right. made a mistake and now your kid, you go back and the tragedy occurred, you know? And I think a lot of those drownings are also related to, for example, a child gets out of the house and nobody's watching the pool. They slip and they fall in there and they may not know how to swim. Right. I think nobody that, might find them for a while. And there's hundreds they, of horror um, stories. I think they now have like a rule where yes. if you have a swimming pool, an in-ground swimming pool, you have to have a fence around it. Yes. I think the regulations are different for different every state, every or, state or county or municipality. It's a good I don't idea know, either but, way. Have a fence around it to stop your kids from wandering right. in there. In any case, you should probably put a fence there, not even just for your kids, for animals. You don't want to yeah. just walk in one day and find your cat or dog is drowned in there true or some random animal a deer or something and also this so that way your neighbors don't if you're in florida there could be a alligator cro- alligator in there is it alligators or crocodiles to Probably be honest I, I don't right? really know the difference crocodiles are in australia maybe i, don't know. I think crocodiles are more salt water salt water yeah so i think maybe it is maybe it's crocodiles i don't really know well i'm sure at some point an episode will be about crocodiles or alligator deaths maybe maybe it's probably let us know what you think. We should do that or not. Yeah, let us know if you'd like that. Or if you wouldn't. Because that's less work. It is less work if we don't have to do it, right? <laughs> right. All right. Um, what else you got? Some more stats here? Yeah, what do you got? Okay. I thought this was an interesting one. Nearly 80% of drowning victims in the United States are male. 
Really? You know so what? Four probably because men were trying to show off or something, right? They'd I'm cliff pretty dive sure it's or because of that. Jump off a roof into a pool. Right. Men are more aggressive. Men are more likely Drink to go more, in the water. So they you know, get drunk and drown. Yeah. You know, now, I know I'm not going to throw any names out here, but I know at least one or two people who don't like to go swimming because they don't want to get their hair wet. Oh, yeah, that's so true, too. Yeah. They're at less risk of drowning just because they don't go to... They don't like to get their hair wet. They don't go out that deep. And if they do go in the water, they don't put their head in the water. They're not going to go out deep. Gotcha. And I also think that there's less women that would be around a beer vat in case that explodes. Maybe. I don't know the yeah. statistics on men and women drinking beer, but you're probably right. right. I think... In my experience, most women would rather drink wine. So maybe yeah. at a winery. The wine vats are smaller. Lucille Ball show where she's stomping the grapes. The oh, yeah. I mean, she could have drowned in a barrel of wine, I'm right? I'm sure there's been some cases like that. And if that's something that our viewers, viewer, depending on who's watching this episode. We have two, I think. We have two now. Wow, great. Good job. Um, maybe if that's something our viewers would be interested in, we could do an episode about drowning in a vat of wine. Maybe. If there is such an example. I don't know. I have to look it up. What else you got? Um, so for children between the ages of 5 and 14, there's more of a balance between drowning in a natural environment. So let's say a freshwater body, saltwater body okay. versus a swimming pool. And then once you get over the age of 14, you're much more likely to drown in a natural body of water. Okay. Yeah. Because they're sneaking off and going swimming in the river or whatever. Right. So... I'm, so, I'm sure. Do you have like a stats on uh, year over year or anything like that that shows uh, yeah. if anything's getting safer or yes. worse? There are some interesting stats here. So between the years of 2011 and 2020, there was an average of just over 4,000 unintentional drowning deaths each year in the United States. Tw you said 20? Between 2011 okay. and 2020. Oh, I didn't okay. see any okay. data. 11 after. deaths. Okay. That's 11 deaths per day. Oh, per day? Yes. So 4,000 divided by 360. Gotcha. So, in the U.S., approximately one person drowns every 120 minutes. Every two hours. Every one, two hours. A little person. bit less. Okay. Those are unintentional drownings. There's also homicides, which we're not really going to cover homicides right. on this show. There's a lot of other shows that do, and I don't really find those as interesting, personally. Yeah. So, uh, overall, out of all those deaths, okay. about 51% of those occur in natural water. So, that puddle? puddle anything uh, from a puddle up to the ocean to the ocean right and out of the deaths that occur in natural water about so it's about 41 percent of the 51 percent so about half of oh sorry that's that's 41 percent of 41 percent out of the 100 percent of drownings okay. occur in natural water and 10 percent occur in the ocean so 10 percent so four out of every five drowning deaths that happen in the in natural water happen in fresh water and only one out of every five. So 20%. Oh, I missed the stats again. Yeah. Cut. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Will. You're much more likely to drown. We're in, just going to leave that in. Just leave it in. It's funny. <laughs> you're much more likely to drown. This is what happens when you don't practice before the show. Yeah. You're much more likely to drown in fresh water versus salt water. Okay. Now, if you normalize and take the number of time or the encounters people spend in freshwater swimming versus in saltwater swimming. I have not seen any data on that. So just off uh, like pure, mm. no, not just nonsense. Why yeah. do you think it doesn't have to be any type of real, uh -huh. like, just your opinion. Why right. do you think more people would drown in freshwater than in saltwater? So there's a couple of reasons that are actually in the research. And there's a couple of reasons I think we could speculate on. Okay. So first of all, I think you're more likely to horse around in freshwater. 
because I think people perceive the ocean to be more dangerous. Okay. Right? Sure. I mean, I, I think my natural thought was, hey, there'd be a lot of people drowning in the ocean because it's dangerous. There's currents, my there's thoughts, tides. My thoughts would be more people have access to fresh water because there's swimming pools and right. everybody, you know, every other person's backyard well, fresh, or fresh whatever. Water is not really a swimming pool, you know. Thinking, you don't think that's freshwater? No, like in the stats, they separate those out. Freshwater oh, would be a lake, a stream, a river, a pond, a gully. Yeah, I don't so know, let's see. Like Even then, you think more people would have access to freshwater than they you do. Know, the so lakes you're in Kansas, there's the not an ocean there. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything? Um, ponds are actually extremely dangerous, from what I've seen. There's a lot of man-made ponds. A lot of too. man-made ponds, and yeah. a lot of them have drainage culverts and other things in them that people don't really think about when they go swimming so they'll jump in somewhere and let's say it's a pond and there's a drainage culvert somewhere or right and there's a suction and a yeah. whirlpool that is very dangerous yeah very dangerous and that's how yeah. a lot of people drown yeah yeah so. I, I can imagine there's a lot of like um runoffs and things like that where yes. they fill up and then people think oh i'll just jump in there but there's right. drains at the bottom and right pull you down right yeah. and that force can be powerful yeah yeah and i think one other thing that i saw in the literature was that Oceans tend to be more marked. So people go swimming at a beach that's marked and well-known, there's sand, whatever. But there also tend to be a lot of lifeguards on duty. Right, and there's a lifeguard shortage, so yes. to be a lifeguard. If you want to make a difference in people's lives, be a lifeguard. Yeah, you can save somebody's life. All right, so there you have it. Everything you might want to know about uh, drowning. Not everything, but at least everything you part might, of it. might want to know. Everything we might want to tell you in this amount of time we have for you today. Yep, so let's see. Let's see where we're at here. Okay, so gotta let you guys know one of the one of the stories today, one of the historical events that we told today, is completely baloney. It's totally made up. It's that's well bullshit. That's right. So, without looking it up online, leave us a message on mm -hmm. which one you think was complete baloney, horse malarkey, and uh, we'll let you know on our next episode uh, which one it was. So that's all we have time for today. So. Yes. Next time, we'll explore another uh, tragic incident in history. And as always, stay safe out there. Stay safe out there.